Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Thanks for downloading another episode. This one is supported by Freelancer Magazine, helping you grow a freelance business you love by sharing inspirational stories from freelancers around the world, freelance-specific business advice, practical tips, trends, events, and lifestyle features. Freelancers across 25 countries are already subscribed to Freelancer Magazine. Make yourself one of them at freelancermagazine.co.uk and you could be getting them through your letterbox or into your inbox because there's a digital version too but if I were you I'd get those mm, sweet glossy pages in your hand thanks Freelancer Magazine appreciate the support right now though let's find out what it's like being freelance for PR Lucy Werner I was only trained into running PR campaigns not a business so I was a terrible boss a terrible leader and really I just wanted to do the work I didn't want to be an agency owner I think a lot of freelancers have this. We have the work that we do for love and we have the work that we do for money. And you need the money to be able to do the work for love. But if you take on too much money work, there's no time to do the love work. And it was this constant juggle. I got so distracted by what other people were doing and what other people told me to do. I kept losing sight of what it was that I wanted to do, which is actually now. And it's always kind of taken me seven, eight years to really find that that's 100% the direction I want to be in and, and do it. So there's Lucy, her story coming up. She's from the UK, based in France. And her book, Hype Yourself, is often seen behind me like when I do video calls or like I'm going live in the being freelance community it sits on the bookshelf behind me it's very good Uh, she's a PR pro but there's more to it than that so look forward to sharing her story very soon indeed as well as listening to the being freelance podcast why don't you come and hang out in the being freelance community online and in real life it's a very fun and supportive place to be and a place to ask questions to sense check things to show and tell you know to actually shout about the things that you're up to to celebrate the wins and frankly if you're having a bit of a tough time to get support around those moments too and one of my favorite bits of hanging out in there is the regular co-working to boot you know last week actually i went to the freelancer magazine christmas party in london and there were so many bffs there being freelance friends and it was really lovely to see him in person and especially those who i've met through the co-working but we've never met in person before it's so funny like you meet and it's just like you've known each other forever i love that moment anyway come and join us if you think virtual co-working sounds a bit weird so did I at first, but it really isn't. It's great. Come and join us, beingfreelance.com. Click on community. Right now, let's head off to France and chat to freelance PR. That is Lucy Werner. Hey, Lucy. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. Right. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? I had really had my feet under the desk for a long time in corporate PR. I guess I'd worked for lots of agencies And it was sort of around about that time I kept meeting really cool entrepreneurs who couldn't afford big agency fees. And I was just making lots of money for my company and watching my boss buy more and more expensive clothes and fund his extracurricular activities and thought, actually, you know, I want to have a go at picking the clients I want to work with. Um, At that time, I was doing cigarettes, booze, gambling, yeah, all the good stuff. And... (laughs) And I thought, 
narrow. I don't know. I kind of just want to champion the underdogs for a bit and, and get them out there. So that was the decision to leave. And I had three months kind of rent in my bank account. I thought, you've got three months to, to make it. And so that was it. I just jumped off. First client was like a friend of a friend. And then word of mouth spread. And by month three, I actually had a team assistant. And by the end of that first year, I had a team of eight. Whoa, <laughs> that escalated quickly. Yeah, it really did escalate quickly. What year are we talking about? This is 2014 into 2015. At what point did you realise that you needed an assistant or to get more people? It wasn't a conscious decision. I remember a friend of mine saying, oh, you're, you're going to need an office for when you get a team. And I was like, I will never get a team. And then at that time, I had a bit of a niche of doing restaurant and food pop-ups and experiential stuff in London. Mm -hmm. And I guess because we were a lot cheaper than most of the London agencies and we were doing a good job, we kept attracting a lot of those types of audiences. So I think I had an Akai Berry pop-up launch happening and I was like, I need another person. So it started off as a kind of part-time freelancer helping me out and I resisted payroll for as long as I kind of legally could on a project by project basis but it got to the point where there were retainers rather than just projects and so I was going to have to get, get the pay PAY PAYE <laughs> slip out <laughs> and did you get an office um I did um I started off actually um renting a desk in exchange for PR in an innovation consultancy which is where I met Adrienne the co-founder of my children um and then I moved into what was that later on it's all such a jumble now and then um there was London Met University basically had office spaces above where they had lots of startups and so I was in a kind of a London Met um so basically, I was on campus so I could get the cheap dinners. But, I mean, that's not why I was there. That wasn't why I was there. But that was a good byproduct of that location. Um, so yeah, I was kind of on a university campus with other startup businesses. That's cool. Yes, yeah, so the overheads, you could keep them a bit lower. Exactly. And your first client was a friend of a friend, but you said word of mouth. Was that built on the fact that actually you'd been working in the industry for some time by then? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even the first client that I got, it was, they knew me because of the agent, the last big agency that I worked at, which was a big sort of award winning, fast growing one. And I guess historically I'd worked with loads of household brands. Anybody who was kind of in that creative entrepreneurial space knew that I'd worked on some quite cool stuff. I guess. Um, mm. Objectively cool. <laughs> <laughs> but you suddenly find yourself accidentally building a team. Yeah. Did you know what you were doing, like pricing-wise, business-wise? So in agency land, they tr they do kind of train you as you move up on how to price your clients. So I kind of knew each level had an hourly rate. So I need to do kind of break down, like, if, this is the fee. How many hours do I need of the team? Okay, that costs this much. So I did kind of know pricing. I think what I didn't really kind of realize is obviously you then need to put overheads and office and everything else on top of that. So later on, I think one of my old bosses told me, actually, the staff fee should only be like 40% of the fee because you need space for profit and then all of your other expenses. Whereas I was kind of like using all of that fee for staff expenses not really taking into account tax and all those other like oh, 
things. Um, and equally, I was only trained into running PR campaigns, not a business. So mm. I was a terrible boss, a terrible leader. Um, and really, I just wanted to do the work. I didn't want to be an agency owner. I just wanted to make PR affordable for nice people. <laughs> so, so 2014, 2015 yeah. into 2016, like how did things start to change? Did it just carry on? So it, it kind of had the momentum. So we were just sort of keep kept on going. We had lots of people on retainer and then I got pregnant. And actually there was a kind of natural, I guess, sort of shedding of a few staff and a few clients at that time, things coming to an end. So I had a kind of core team then probably of about three to four that I had full time. And that first maternity leave, Adrienne, the co-founder of my children, then he worked for a big US company and he got shared parental leave at basically 90% of his salary paid. So I took kind of the first three months and then we went traveling around France when the baby was four months till seven months with him off fully and me doing two days a week remotely in the UK with my team. And then the day... I kind of knew I was coming back to the office like the month before. So that was Christmas. I knew I was coming back to the office in January because I lined up childcare for six from when the first baby was six months. And lots of things that were supposed to sign on didn't sign on. Lots of people finished because it was the end of the year. And I was looking, I normally work three to six months ahead and I could see the pipeline and there wasn't enough to keep the whole team going. And I also realized I didn't want to be in the office full time, but the team needed me there. They needed me there more than two days a week to keep them going. But when you're the only person bringing in new business, that's almost a full time job in itself. Uh, It was horrid. Actually, I had to make um, the team redundant. And I found one client I gave to the most senior member and she still works for them today six years on um one I helped get into a full-time placement and another one they were a junior and they did a complete career pivot making people redundant is awful and then I decided actually I'd been doing PR like I'd been trained to do PR in an agency land and actually I didn't want clients all year round I found it to be a really ineffective model and I wanted to work on projects rather than retainers which everybody tells you not to do the business advice is always like get retainers keep them but I actually find like to keep fresh and keep creative and to give value I'd rather do an expensive project for three months than have maybe somebody on a lower retainer for 12 months so I started doing project by projects two days a week and actually I was doing quite a lot at that time for mother the ad agency had a startup arm of the business so I was supporting a lot of their startup projects that were maybe too small for their PR agency and just doing kind of two days a week on them. Did that relationship come from just knowing them historically? Yeah because it was a historical relationship from when I'd been doing PR for Adland. And what year just (laughs) just to keep us on track what year were you coming back from maternity when 2017 I had the baby so we're moving into 2018 and then I got pregnant again (laughs) um and that was when I was writing my book Hype Yourself and I knew when I wrote Hype Yourself I wanted to pivot into raising my own profile because at that point nobody nobody on Instagram or Facebook knew who I was it was literally only a kind of 
I guess, an area of East London that knew me offline. But I wanted to have more of an online presence and be able to do more teaching and speaking and teach workshops. And I kind of wanted to just help more people who had less budget, essentially. So I knew I needed to scale in a different way. So I spent that kind of second pregnancy trying to build my profile, practicing teaching for free, practicing speaking for free, going to loads of events. I shared a piece of advice every day on Instagram for a year as part of that like profile building piece. And then that book was kind of going to be the gateway to me pivoting into the teaching. And the day I got the book deal, um, Adrienne got made redundant. And so I was like, right, you're not going to qualify for paternity leave if you go anywhere else. You come on and you can have like a branding side to the business because people were seeing my Instagram and my website and wanting the same thing. So I was kind of using myself as the case study for his design work. And we launched our first product together, which was the 52 PR tips, which you very kindly um, shared a few times, I think, in Christmas gift guides. Oh, yes. So when was that? So that was 2018, was That was it? 2019. 2019. And um, I used those gift cards. Instead of sending like a press release out to be like, you know, my husband's joined the business or, hey, now we do branding. No one cared. I was like, I've made a product and my husband helped design it. He does design. He also did my website and he does my Instagram and he does my brochures. And does anybody else need design? And that's kind of how we launched his side of the business. So do you know what I hadn't mentioned is the fact that you your business was the Wern yeah was it that from the beginning you know like when you left and you went solo yeah you know what only because some people in PR and some of my friends have always just called me Wern oh right I was just Wern that was just my name and I needed to register a name on company's house so I just went with the Wern because I was like I can't call it Wern (laughs) The word sounds so much more pro. And then it just, that was it. I didn't necessarily want it to be a lucyburner.com. And actually, if I could go back and redo it all again, I definitely would have given it a better name. But <laughs> So 2019, suddenly for two of you working in business together, was was it just the two of you? So the, the team's all gone, the two of you? We had freelancers that we were scaling projects with on and off. Right. Uh, but actually... Child number two came and was born with four rare congenital heart defects, which was a real spanner in the works. I'm not going to lie. Not that fun. And in my head, I was going to spend the maternity leave like at home under a blanket breastfeeding. It was all going to be easy and beautiful. And I was going to write my online courses and all my content to go with my book, whilst also doing the PR for Adrienne launching his side of the business. Instead of which we spent seven months going in and out of hospital. So actually, there was a time where, particularly in that time, I felt very ashamed that I'd lost the the full-time team. I felt really embarrassed about it. And I felt embarrassed that I hadn't got as many clients for Adrienne as I had intended to. And he actually white-labeled for a time and did some design work for other agencies in town. So we were effectively both kind of operating as freelancers under this agency name and I joked before we recorded today that I had a very kind of polyamorous relationship with the word freelance and I'm almost ready to reclaim that title and and marry myself to it again (laughs) but at that time I felt like the word freelance was a really dirty word and so I was like no we're co-founders of an agency and we're just 
doing some secret work for other people on the side that's actually way more lucrative than our own clients. So, geez, I mean, God, so you've got a very stressful home situation to deal with, but also you're both self, you're self-employed, you're yeah. running a business, so yeah, you yeah. have no choice but to make that work. I, I think on reality at that time, I, I probably should have maybe put my hands up more and said, hey, help, like we could do with some few clients. Does anybody know anyone? But I had this like PR, you know, I was like, always hype yourself, always be promoting, always be. So the exterior was that we looked really successful as an agency and we, we still had this team and we had this office in our back garden. Um, but the reality was lots of tears and mm. lots of tears and fear behind the scenes of what we were going to do. And also it wasn't even as easy as one of us could just get a full-time job because we didn't know when we were going to get discharged from Great Ormond Street. So there was always this sort of fear that we felt we both needed to be there. And we had the way we were going to survive it was if we just stuck together, Mm. Um, which in the end did work. But looking back, I think it took us too long to realise, hey, one of us could just actually freelance for somebody else for a while. That's okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Great Ormond Street being the amazing children's hospital in London. So that's 2019. We were just heading into 2020 and we were like, maybe now that we've got the all clear with the second child, maybe we could try just taking a break in France for a bit, recalibrating, figure out what we want to do next. Hospital discharged us for six months. Yeah, Yeah, you can take a break go abroad if you want. We were like, yes. We went to book our trip to France in March 2020. And you may recall, um, and actually I would say, I find the pandemic really great because I didn't really want to see anybody because I was this ball of anxiety, was still processing everything that happened. So just to hide in my garden shed and work with Adriana and not talk to anybody else for kind of 18 months was ideal for me at that time and everybody else was like this is so stressful and I was like oh kind of the year before was actually a bit yeah bit for me so uh, this is all right um so, so that was kind of the next um iteration and again I was planning to build out the education arm which at that point we were like okay we're going to call it hypeyourself.com there was loads of people moving to online learning Funnily enough for us, the kind of trend in the pandemic split our clients into two. There was either those that had loads of money that wanted us to do it for them, but there was even more who were suddenly like, hey, I haven't done my website in five years and now I need to be seen online because I can't go out anywhere and see someone. I need a new website or I need to have visibility or I want to get on podcasts or I want to host my own workshop and I don't know what to say. So we suddenly had this new audience of other freelancers who wanted to learn how we did what we did, but didn't necessarily have the big budget. So we were like, right, we're going to go all in on hypeyourself.com, do all the education there um, and split it out. But we both ended up taking on so many clients on the worm that we ended up taking freelancers on and started to accidentally scale again. <laughs> um, so, so then it was kind of, we, we then had to kind of reverse and row back from that. So that's kind of then like 2021. And there was that summer period, you know, when they let us out for like... Oh, that, that was nice of them, wasn't it? They let us out, didn't they? And um, we went to the Isle of Wight with the kids, which PS is like 
I left Wyatt with kids is great. Like, there's so right. much stuff to do. Like if you've got sub 10 years old, it was great. And we were there, we were by the sea and it was really idyllic and it was sunny. And we were like, maybe we need to live by the sea. And one bit I haven't sort of mentioned, if you don't know my partner, Adrienne, he is French and he is from the south of France. And he was very clear with me that if we were going to leave London ever to live by a sea, we would be doing that in France and not the UK. (laughs) Fair. Um, So then we started kind of trying to work out whether or not that would be possible that was actually kind of around the time unromantically that we were like, maybe we should get hitched because we'd never bothered before. But, you know, Brexit being the, the gift that keeps on giving, it was going to be harder for me to get out here if if we weren't. So that was um, one of the lovely reasons <laughs> that we sped up the whole quickly getting a marriage out situation. And yeah, and then long story short, I guess we, we trialed it out here in a winter time. And then we made the move out here last April. So that was April 2022. And we're now 2023. So I've done a year. When you said about, you know, we had to row back because you'd had this plan. Sounded like a good plan. Right, I'm going to write a book called Hype Yourself. I'm going to start teaching people Hype Yourself. But at the same time, thanks for the pandemic, actually people were coming to the Wern and wanting help building their brand, building their website. So then you take on freelancers and you said we had to row back. What, row back towards this plan you'd had of hype yourself? Yeah, I, and I think, you know what the problem is? I think a lot of freelancers have this. We have the work that we do for love and we have the work that we do for money. And you need the money to be able to do the work for love. But if you take on too much money work, there's no time to do the love work. And it was mm. this constant juggle. And actually... When we came to France to try it for the first time for three months, I fired all of my clients. I had no income, no work on the horizon. And I was just relying on Adrienne's stuff to work. And we launched our first online program with Adrienne. So we were kind of working together in that I was promoting and marketing it. But it was his product and he was teaching it. And out of nowhere, I started getting brands approaching me to do content creation. And all of a sudden, I was getting paid to make content because of my expertise in promotion and visibility for small businesses. So I was like, hold on, if I can make the same amount of money with like one client, but with working with two brands a month, this should be where I, you know, focus my efforts whilst I'm looking after the children full time on this three month trial. I actually, during that period, I kind of realized I had 10 different income streams, you know, I had nine aside from the agency. So if I cut the agency and focused on actually promoting the other income streams, I could still make money, just not in the same way as the agency. So it was a real, it was a real shift for me to actually take the seat back, not be the agency owner, let Adrienne have his clients, which was the kind of the, the money maker and me to start pivoting and building the educational side that I'd always wanted to do. Nine income streams. Yeah. Can we just tick them off very quickly? Yeah. Affiliates. Right. Online courses, workshops for myself, workshops for other people, branded content. Yeah. My book royalties, my cards that I sell as a product, agency work. I do coaching, like PR mentoring. So I don't count that as agency works. It's not me doing it for them as a client. 
and speaker fees. So getting paid to do speaking events. So my financials now, I have a target each quarter for each of those different 10 revenue streams. So did those, the fact that you had this lovely diversified income mm. help with the flexibility of, you know, well, I was going to say working around your family, but also transferring to another country. Like there's 100%. quite a lot of health for that matter. Like there's quite a few different things here, aren't there? Mm. I, I think there's two things really. Working with clients in the UK, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to keep that agency side going because actually one of the core bits of PR is knowing the media and having your finger on the pulse a bit. And I just thought there's only so much I can read online media um, and see events happening online. It's very different to actually being there and getting a sense of what the, the feeling in the room is and physically seeing all the articles in a newspaper as opposed to the selected ones that are performing well. So they allow that to go online. There was also with the children, I just didn't want to be round the clock. And if a crisis hits at seven o'clock on a Friday night with a client, you have to deal with that. Mm. That's part of the job. I just didn't have the same bite as when I was kind of in my 20s and early 30s pre-children to be on tap like that. It wasn't that I fell out of love with the job. I just I just loved my family more, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Sorry, PR. And so actually, when we arrived in France, I kind of wanted to shut the worm down. But Adrian was known as such a big part of it. That I thought I don't have the energy to relaunch him as Adrian Chatelet. And so actually, when recently he was approached to work for Adobe in France, the first thing I said was, this is brilliant. I can shut the agency down and I'm just going to kill off the worm. And the people won't think of me as somebody that does PR for them anymore. And I'm just going to focus on hype yourself. And people will see me as somebody who's more an educator and trainer and a mentor in that space. And so that's where we are today. That's where we are today. Oh, my gosh. So many pivots. <laughs> so now you are hype yourself. Mm. But yes, okay, the, the word has gone, RIP. But Lucy Werner, like the importance of your personal brand is kind of like key to, to all of that. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. And I would say that's evolved slightly. Like it used to just be like Lucy Werner PR tips for small business. And then as I worked more with Adrienne and we co-wrote a book together, then I was kind of talking more about PR and brand building. And then I kind of realized that PR actually needs a PR makeover and that people think PR is just getting you into a newspaper. Whereas actually, I would argue that everything you do in the public is a, you know, a relationship with your public is public relations. So me being on this podcast is me PRing myself. The fact that I want to be on your podcast because I know that we have a similar audience and we have the shared values and we kind of have that similar kind of values about life. I want to be on your podcast, whereas there could be another freelance podcast host. I think I just, I really don't agree with their stance or what it is they agree with. So every decision we kind of make in our business when we're talking externally is PR. And I kind of consider that to be more like self-promotion as an accessible word to people because they think of PR as literally just getting into a newspaper. Whereas if I say to you, I'm going to help you with your self-promotion, they're like, oh, okay. So I'm going to be like promoting myself. And it's like, yes, that's ultimately what we are doing. It's we're using your profile to connect with other people, to connect to your audience. They go, I really like that person. Maybe I want to work with them. Yeah. What do you think has worked 
the best for you in terms of your own self-promotion then? Um, it's public speaking, always. There's something about that face-to-face that you can't replicate online. It's that, that feeling in the room, the fact that people come up and talk to you afterwards. It's always been my biggest new business driver and led to me getting other opportunities. So yeah, for me, even though I don't, I don't ever walk out into public speaking without having five minutes beforehand where I've done like 20 wheeze. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm there doing my power pose like backstage and I'm having to like deep breath, even though I'll have my slides and I will have rehearsed it and I know what I'm doing. It, there's always this sort of sheer panic of, oh my goodness, there's going to be somebody in the audience that knows this better than me and they're going to think I'm an idiot. But then after a while, you just, you kind of, it takes me probably about five minutes to settle in to how I'm speaking and to take a breath. And then once I've made the first joke and someone's laughed, even if it's just one person, I'm like, okay, we're good. And I deliberately put things on my slides that make me laugh because I feel like if nothing else, if if I'm having a good time, then you're going to have a good time. (laughs) Whereas if you've got the person there who's like, you know, with their notes, it's not enjoyable for anybody. So I kind of sort of see there's an element to how I promote myself, like on my Instagram or when I'm public speaking, I liken to like my drag queen alter ego. (laughs) It's still me, but it's just a more confident, badass Mm. version of myself. Yes. Does the drag queen alter ego have a name? I guess the drag queen is probably like the word. Like I used to say like, I actually used to say this in therapy that like there's Lucy Werner and then there's like the Wern and the Wern I was like you can't tell me anything about what I do in work like I am a great PR I'm great at my job I'm great at what I do so when people talk about like imposter syndrome at work I'm like I don't have that but in life I'm like oh my god I hate myself like oh how can I teach my kids to love themselves I don't even like myself like and then it's sort of having to realise that they're actually the same person. Like my therapist is like, it is the same person, Lucy. Um, so, yeah, I guess the word was this kind of vibrant, brightly coloured, funner, or singing or dancing version of myself on the stage. Did writing the book work for you in the way that you wanted it to? Hype Yourself, my first book, baby, was ace, except... When I did my, I, so I won my book deal from doing a book proposal challenge. And afterwards I had some training with my editor and she said, actually, you know, it's not so much about writing a book for other people. It's also thinking about how you can make that book work for yourself as a publicity tool. So where are you directing people next? And I was promoting myself so hard in 2019. So this was around the time that we had the Great Ormond Street Hospital situation going on that all these people arrived wanting to work with me and I didn't have anything to sell to them. Right. So it kind of felt like I had this shop and everybody was queuing up and then I was opening the door and going, sorry, can you come back later? I don't know when I'm opening again or what it is I'm selling, but it looks great, right? And everyone was like, yeah, it was awful. (laughs) Oh, so actually, yeah. So if you released Hype Yourself now... I would have the systems and processes and products in place. And actually... I think I'm going to jump the gun on what it is that you would tell your younger self. But actually, I would tell my younger self to really pay attention to who you take business advice from. Because I got so distracted by what other people were doing and what other people told me to do 
I kept losing sight of what it was that I wanted to do, which is actually now. But it's always kind of taken me seven, eight years to really find that that's 100% the direction I want to be in and, and do it. Who what, did you have like a, a coach or a bit, or is we, are we just reading business advice or listening so to it? Or? When I started out, I didn't know about people like you or other Facebook groups where other parents who were freelancers were coming. I mean, I wasn't a parent then either. So I did an online course on how to be an entrepreneur for 500 pounds. That was crap. And then I was taking advice from a CEO of Adland. He basically was training me how to like scale it and sell it for a million, which was never really what I wanted to do, but I felt like that's what I should do. And I remember him talking about me returning from mat leave. I had to return. He wanted me to return before Christmas so I could ramp up the new business ready to kick off the new year. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. And then I kind of actually got distracted a lot by some of the other mums having children with my second child. And they were really smashing it online at that time. There was lots of kind of making six figures, making seven figures and sell, sell, sell. And I've literally, I'm giving birth and I'm still doing a story from the birthing suite about my online course kind of thing. And I was just not there at all either. But then I felt I was really failing as a business owner and if, or a freelancer because I was just like I'm not making any money and I kind of want to be at home with my baby and with so I'm I've had a third child since then and somebody gave me the advice that actually it's not just giving myself permission when I stay at home with my child it's also giving other mothers permission that they can do it too and I think there's a real complicated message of like being oh but that's a position of privilege because you're not working versus well actually I stocked up for a while and I'm helping my husband do his job and I feel like I need to excuse the fact that I maybe don't want to work and just be a full-time mother for a bit it's very complex and Mm. a bit of a cancellation culture minefield space to be in but I realized I didn't see that many mums saying it's okay just to tighten your belt and not work for a bit and maybe just work a tiny bit part-time, but basically be on maternity leave. And it's, there's no word to describe that. (laughs) Like I'm kind of on a micro maternity leave. I'm micro working. I don't know, but that's what I wanted to kind of set out with this time. Um, There's so much that we could talk about. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But no, but it's good because actually that makes me formulate this thought, which is, there is so much that we could talk about. There are so many things that you do do. There's so many things on top of that that you could do. How do you decide which of the shiny objects are for you? This time round, it is purely what do I have the bandwidth for? And it's almost like account managing myself. Like how many hours a week do you realistically have? What can you actually do in that time that's not going to burn out? How much money do you need to make to help keep the lights on and I've actually been doing a bit of a cost cutting exercise as part of this about actually I'm going to take the online courses down because a great thing about having 10 revenue streams for example is you're like oh there's 10 ways to make money but they only make money if you're promoting them and I don't want to spend my whole maternity leave promoting all the different things that I have so actually I'm just focusing on the speaking gigs and the workshops because if I get one or two of those big ones lined up that will cover me for a month or two versus 
how many courses I need to sell or how many copies of my book or how many of the PR tips or how many times I promote another service as an affiliate link. Like that's a, a lot more work. So I guess it's kind of that age old thing of going for a fewer things that are a bigger ticketer, but then doing the stuff I love. So I really want to spend the day to day just focusing on the content creation for fun because I enjoy that. And because I'm a Adobe Express ambassador, I'm really lucky that I have a kind of, I get a challenge a month from them. So I kind of know for a while, touch wood, that I've got the income from that coming through, which is, you know, going to help me with the food shops. <laughs> <laughs> but you've taken your courses down, which some people listening might be like, but surely that's, you've made a course. Is that not passive income? With with these courses that you also had to be present on? Or- I do try and always include some live element because I think it helps people keep accountable. So I include Q&A times with me. But then that's another platform I'm paying for to have the booking into my calendar (laughs) automated so that I'm not doing that as a task. Then I've got the course platform and the calendar platform on annual subscriptions that I wanted to get rid of as a cost because I don't want to be paying for that. Um, And and, and the extended call platform, video call, so we can have lots of people. (laughs) Exactly. So um, my online courses, there was a direct correlation historically to how much I promote them versus how many sales I make. Occasionally, I do get an evergreen person purchasing it, but very rarely. If I was more organized, maybe I would have a quiz on my website and an email marketing funnel system, and it would tell people you need to buy this, and it would send them three or four emails to chase them into doing it. It's, that's not for me. It's just not my personality. I kind of feel like if the course is good for you and you want to do it, I want you to do it. And that's terrible marketing and promotion advice. You do need to upsell, especially if it's a new person. I know all of that. It's just not a system that feels comfortable for me. It's like wearing a suit. I know it would make me look more professional. I don't want to wear it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Like it's just, it's just not for me. So um, also I wrote that course and made it and took loads of time on it, but you do need to keep going in and revising it. And for me right now, it's just, it's another thing. Right. So it might come back. It might come back, but for now it's definitely coming down. Gotcha. But I won't have childcare for another year. So I've got 12 months of no childcare. (laughs) You're okay. (laughs) Just a tiny bit sick. It's fine. Okay, that with Lucy in a moment. You heard her experience of advice and taking a course that wasn't maybe suited to her when she started out freelancing. I also have a course. No, nice segue, Steve. Thanks very much. I also have a course that can help you get started being freelance. It's called How to Get Started Being Freelance. Funnily enough, whether you're totally new or maybe like you're in your first year, this is the course I wish I had when I started freelancing. But it's not just my experience, things that I've picked up along the way. It's the experience of the over 300 guests I've spoken to for this podcast and the ones I hang out with in the community. It's like a collective knowledge sponge that you get to draw upon. And you can find it by going to Being Freelance slash course and the great news is it also includes six months membership of the being freelance community these days so not only do you get to learn but you also get to hang out with freelancers who are doing it themselves right now let's get back to lucy's story the branded content that you took so you mentioned adobe for example so did you go after that did that simply come to you because they saw you 
well, doing your thing online. You know what? What came before that, which was insane. I was getting bored of talking about PR all the time. And I thought, I'm going to start talking about other general small business freelance advice. And just to clarify, by the way, I consider freelancers small business owners because you are acting like a small business. So when I say small business, this still applies to you freelance people who are listening. I talked about how when I wanted to get a job in PR, I didn't have a CV, I had a scrapbook. And I basically made collages of the different campaigns I worked on. I did a collage page of who I was. And I did all this, where I thought was really wacky, probably quite normal scrapbook to promote myself. And I took it to one interview and the woman wouldn't even open it. And she was like, I only want to see a CV. Funnily enough, I didn't get that job. The next one I went to, the next agency, they were like, this is so cool. They were flipping through every page and they were asking me about my historical PR experience based on this scrapbook. It was the most fun interview I've ever had. And I ended up getting the job, got promoted twice there, did really well. And so I was talking about how, you know, when you're actually pitching yourself out for in-house roles, like think about how you're presenting yourself. And the company who made the scrapbook got in touch with me and said, is that one of our scrapbooks? And I was like, yes. (laughs) And they were like, cool, can you tag us in it and we'll reshare it? And then they were the ones who said, oh, we're creating a series of small business tips for our audience. Do you want to maybe do something around how to have the best headshot? Because I've seen you talk about that in your book and on your channel. So I was like, yes. Um, Then I was approached by a sex toy company and a dry cleaning company. And I said... (laughs) One after the other? Yeah. How good was the sex toy? I didn't work with either of them because I was like, it's not actually... Right, oh, of course. It's not in line with my values. And my audience might enjoy it, but that's not really (laughs) what I'm known for. And I felt like that was too too far into making me an influencer, if you like. Whereas actually it was like, my kind of shtick is helping small business owners to get themselves out there. And then, yeah, Adobe approached me and said, we're running an ambassador program in Europe. We're looking for a beta tester. Do you have time? And would you like to have a go at doing this? And I just sacked off all of my clients. I was like, yes to the time. <laughs> and yes, I want to do this. So then that's that's how that started. Ah. These people are finding you because you're just putting yourself out there anyway. It's always been Instagram for me. And it's funny because I put so much content on Instagram and you, you have those days where you're losing more followers and you, there's no engagement. And you're like, what is going on? And then out of the blue, you're like, oh, actually, the marketing manager from Adobe UK has been following me for 12 months and I didn't even notice. And now they're they're booking me for this opportunity which is actually kind of what happened it was the same with the stationery company it was the girl in-house who was following me but it didn't say who in both of these instances it didn't say who they worked for you know they literally just could have been called like Dave and Becky do you know what I mean (laughs) I had no idea who these people were but they were just following me and because I stuck to what it is that I always talk about I was sort of front of mind when they were like, okay, we want somebody that talks to creative small business owners. You have a mailing list as well, right? Yeah, I've just moved that to Substack. That's where all the cool kids are. Apparently. I'm Um, not cool. (laughs) But has the mailing list been important for you? I think what I like about the mailing list is it gives 
that opportunity where I feel there's more of a two-way relationship. So I get kind of more feedback or more engagement. And I guess because I own that data, you know, like with Instagram, my engagement is dreadful. Like on a good week, I'm just about creeping up to like two to three percent. Most of the time I'm at one. Whereas my newsletter, my open rate's fifty percent. So I know that I'm hitting fifty percent of that audience. And it's mine, like I I own that. So I can I I know I can hit fifty percent of my audience at any time that I want. But I've done that, I've written a monthly newsletter for five years. So that's the, I've kept, I've always kept consistent on what it is I talk about and what it is that I do, which can be quite dull, but it, it does pay off. Now, Lucy, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? So I once won an All England Tap Dancing Championship. (laughs) I was once gunged on the ITV show, What's Up Doc with Pat Sharp. And I presented my own new segment as part of the press pack for BBC News Round. <gasps> no way! Oh, well, of course it could be a lie. Okay, right. Well, I mean, for anybody who grew up in the UK listening to this... These are very UK 80s, 90s cultural yeah. references. The press pack on News, news Round was like the big it was iconic. show for kids. Pat Sharp was like the big DJ who did, but I don't remember that TV show. I'll be honest with you. It's because you think of Pat Sharp as fun house. Oh, I mean, it's a whole lot of fun with prizes, prizes to, to be, be won. won. Use your body and your brain if you want to play the game. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> how did you? <laughs> I'm so glad you did that, right? Because I did that at a at a dog training session at the weekend and my wife looked at me horrified. She went, you just snorted in front of strangers. I was like, people laughing and they snort. She went, not in public. Oh, she might have a point. It's not, it's not great for your public relations. <laughs> okay. Okay. All England tap dancing. So how old were you? Like, what? What? You you were a champion, did you say? It, in a, it was in a troupe. I wasn't on my own. What was the troupe called? Tunbridge Performing Arts. Do you remember what song you had to dance to, to win? So there was actually two around that time. But we didn't win with this one, but we did have a more street tap version to everybody dance oh nice uh, uh. right okay how did you end up on this pat sharp tv show being gunged on tv uh that was through my drama club okay i've always wondered this about the gunge the tv show ends c- camera stop then what happened like are there showers do they just sit you on the bus on the way home still covered in gunge i feel like i didn't film the gunge bit live but we're in the same outfits so we filmed the gunge on a different day. But I feel like maybe that's an absolute fake news and that's a lie. All I remember is definitely there was no showers. Okay, number three. <laughs> what was your report on Newsround as part of the press pack? <laughs> you had to say something. You had to apply of like an interesting hobby. And so I was t- talking about my worm collection. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You had a worm collection. I, I had a very um, isolated childhood in the countryside. <laughs> what? 
Like did, how it worked, how you fed them, how they slept. Did you name your worms? No. Right. They should have been called worms, though, right? Right. Do you know what's weird about this? Right. You started telling the tap dancing story and you were laughing so much like you were making it up. And then you did the same thing with the other two stories. So at the beginning, I was convinced the tap dancing wasn't true. But for some reason, you're unable to tell any story without sounding like you're lying and laughing about it. All all three of them could be lies based on your performance. So have you... Have you masked it? Have you decided, oh, God, I laughed too much at the tap dancing, but I have to now laugh at the other two? Maybe. Okay. Weirdly, I believe the worm. <laughs> the worm farm. Why not? Why should that not be a big news story? <laughs> I don't remember the name of that Pat Sharp TV show. But I also feel like if it was a lie, you would have picked Funhouse, which was the big TV show that everybody of our generation in this country would know. So that feels like it's probably true because it's not a TV show I would have heard of. I tap dancing, tap dancing. Okay, in that case, the the press pack is the lie. I've, I've, I've convinced myself, I thought tap dancing was the lie because you just couldn't even get the words out. But actually... Would they bother to film a girl with her worms? <laughs> I think the press pack news round is a lie. It is the absolute lie. And I laughed so hard because I realised I hadn't prepped my backstory of what my report was on. <laughs> Did you keep worms as a kid? No. Oh, wow. Well, good. Lucy, how much time... <laughs> uh, back to a normal question. <laughs> How much time, like across all, all of this story, because some of it you're working like directly with clients, obviously some of it you're becoming more of a teaching type person, speaking and so on. But like how much time do you put into being visible, like effectively your own PR? Every day, every single day. As a conscious scheduled thing or just simply go onto the internet? It's no, it's not, it's not scheduled. It's not, I, I, unless I've been booked to do a campaign or I've got something specific coming up. So say if I'm doing a talk, I'll know that I'm going to do a pre-event, a pre-talk post, at talk post and after talk post. So I, I always try and, ev- with everything, it's like minimum of three. So today I'd probably do a story that I've been with you. Then we'll do another one when it comes out. Then we'll do at least another one after it comes out. And I kind of always would have that in. Then you have like anniversaries, like, oh, it was a year ago that I recorded this with Steve. You know, oh. like I'm always finding reasons to keep recycling. But yeah, I guess part of it is also because I do sell my own stuff and tickets and I don't want to be selling all the time. So there's probably a bit of feeling like I need to be giving as much value so when I do sell it's not as gross for my audience and they're not just sat there watching me do adverts all day long but also I enjoy it like I have fun making content I have fun thinking about what works I'm a bit of a geek so I like looking at the data like last week I did two pieces of exactly the same content but one was a reel and one was a carousel because I wanted to do a little micro test which one's working working better um you know on my newsletter I'm like which links are working well I did I had three maternity takeovers when I had immediately given birth and I automatically knew from the links they put in which ones my audience would like the most like I've got to know them all 
so well now. So for me, it is like finding the things that is going to interest them. Um, and also there's that bit of making sure I'm stretching myself. So what's a massive podcast that I want to be on? Stays. And so some, I have these kind of moments where I think I haven't pitched myself for a while. I'm going to pitch myself out to some, something I've really wanted to be on or something I really want to speak at and give it a go. And actually there's lots of times where it's not always that easy to be a headline speaker or to do whatever. So I find other ways to get myself in events, like teaching a workshop or like, you know, so I'm always like, how can I get my first rung on that ladder? Yeah. What has been the biggest challenge of being freelance for you? I would say actually it's when you're going through something personally traumatic and my job is showing up. You know, I talk about hyping yourself and being out there and promoting all the time. And it's really hard to do that when behind the scenes you're going through something really traumatic and for some people you know the pandemic was the most traumatic thing to happen so I think for a lot of freelancers it was then but for me it was definitely 2019 was the biggest challenge for me by far because not only was there kind of no work and all this stuff happening like there was the financial stress and the emotional stress but during that period we also had a legal threat as well which is always you know an additional stress as well so I think it's that that duality of showing up but also what's happening behind the doors so did you just always continue to show up despite all of that or did you take a break actually my darkest days I always showed up but now I know more to not do that yeah because I wonder because I I know you know it's unfortunately it's just one of those things where all of us at some point will have something Exactly. But, you know, it's inevitable. And yeah, so I see it with people where sometimes maybe they have stepped back from being visible and they almost feel bad about coming back on them. Will have people have noticed or will it have... Been- no, there's that. And I think for me, there's also this... Um, it was really hard because there's that kind of... It's that parasocial relationship. So your friends would see... My friends would see me and I was in my brightest clothes, wearing the most makeup looking like it was almost like war paint like I had I'd always if I'm wearing like red lipstick and loads of eyeliner that typically means I'm having the most stressful day ever <laughs> so the more colorful and more vibrant I am externally normally the more in crisis I am so I was showing up like as this super happy confident smiling everything's fine and behind the scenes I'm like completely crumbling and no one's messaging and going are you okay because I've got this facade that everything's fine on the exterior so I, I don't recommend that to be honest you think it's better for us just to step back step back take and, you, and you know what as well when you step back it feels like eternity if you take a month or two months six months for you it feels like you've been off for ages most people don't notice they really don't majority a few people are probably going to message and be like hey you're okay but the majority of your followers are just like oh you're taking a break we all need to do that. It's normal. It's, you know, but we feel this need to come back on and excuse. Mm. I'm back now. It's like, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard, though, when you, you know that also that is part of what drives your business. Yeah, it is hard. As, and yeah, 100%. I wanted to really be off socials completely this matinee, but I'm getting paid to make content. So I feel like I can't just show up when I'm making content. I still have to keep it going. Lucy, it's been so good 
talk to you. It's also nice to know that you haven't got bright red lipstick and loads of eyeliner on. So I've got, I've got a pale jumpsuit on, people. We're fine. <laughs> so you're having a good day. Um, go to beingfreelance.com. As they are for all of the guests, there will be a link through so that you can find Lucy and hype yourself online. So that's at beingfreelance.com. And uh, we were chatting earlier about freelancing around family and things like that. The other podcast I do for freelancing parents is called Doing It for the kids so wherever you've got being freelance search for doing it for the kids hit subscribe on that as well and of course come hang out in the community beingfreelance.com slash community but lucy well all the best with the transition back into freelance i'm officially take reclaiming freelance i'm here i'm ready being being so i'm ready to freelance. be freelance <laughs> <laughs> There we go. There's Lucy. Hope you enjoyed that. She's a lot of fun to follow online. So go find her links, as I mentioned, at beingfreelance.com. And also, she's relaunched her newsletter as Hype Yourself on Substack, as she mentioned. It's really good. I've subscribed to that. And it's it's kind of like a community feel to it as well um, on Substack. You know, as in you can... It's a bit like old blogging, you know, like where you can reply to the person who's written and they can reply to you and you can chat to other people who have commented um she also does regular q a's as part of it and things so yeah it's it's definitely worth checking out if you like lucy you want help with your pr uh, check out hype yourself okay back with another episode not next week but the week after that's how it rolls at the moment but i'm hanging out all the time in the community so please do come and say hi go to beingfreelance.com click on community in the meantime you have a great week being freelance